Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello. Thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Liberty listeners, welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. Today, we have the privilege of chatting with Rachel Repco of Repco Grants, and I'm thrilled to have her here in the studio with us. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Um, it's so good to have you. And I'm so happy to be talking to somebody who is giving us new insights into a completely different business that we haven't actually talked about on the air before. So we're, we're looking for your wisdom here. Why don't you start out just telling us about Repco Grants? Well, at Repco Grants, we help nonprofit organizations raise money from private and corporate foundations. And we work um, exclusively with human service organizations. So that means organizations that deal with issues such as homelessness or human trafficking, food, shelter, um, education for underserved populations and that kind of thing. So what we do is we um, research grants, where to, where to find the money, and um, um, fill out applications and request for um, different needs that each of our clients have. And where did you come from? What was the world that you came from before you got into this? Well, I started Repco Grants about five years ago, and that came out of many years of doing freelance grant writing. But before that, um, I was in public relations. That's what I started out with when I left college. Um, with no, I mean, I didn't, I fell into that. I didn't mm -hmm. really know what it was. As we often do after yeah. college. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had no clue what I wanted to do. And, um, 
fell into public relations just because I needed a job and a job opened up and I took it. Um, but even though that was a really good foundation for what I'm doing now, I really didn't like the public relations side of it, but mm -hmm. I did like the writing side. And so when I moved to the States a few years later and I was looking for my first job over here, um, there was an opening in the PR department at World Vision, which is a big international relief and development organization. And I thought, well, um, I, I'm really interested in getting into the nonprofit world. And so I took that job. And then after about three years of being there, I was, um, someone approached me about moving into grants writing. And I, I didn't know even then really what it was. And I said, I, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> and then they um, said, yes, we know you, you can. can. So that's really where I started to get my So there was that. evidence in your writing of them believing that you could do this. Like what, what makes for a good grant writer? What did they see in you that they thought, well, let's move Rachel over here. Or let's right. give, give this a shot. Well, in, in, my, in my job, even though I started in public relations, I then moved into the sort of fundraising department. And really what I was doing was pieces of grants without even really knowing it. Oh, I see. I was communicating with the field. I was writing um, piece, you know, informational pieces that fundraisers could use to raise money. I was providing information for the grant writers to put into proposals. So I was part of the whole grant writing puzzle without even really realizing it. So it's almost like that copywriting and curating of the, yeah. of the company, the vision, the brand story led to opening this door in grant writing. Exactly. And what did you love about that that made you say, I think I want to be a grant writer? Well, to be honest. It wasn't that easy. It wasn't that simple. It wasn't that easy because yeah. they asked me if I was interested in grant writing on the day that I was quitting to stay home with my first child. Of course they were. Yeah. So what really appealed to me, to be honest, was they said, we, we, we would be interested in having you working just very part-time from home. And we think that, you know, grant writing is something that you could be doing from home. So I was initially attracted by the idea of being able to, to do some work, but do it from home. And so I said, well, let me see, let me try. Let me see if I'm any good at it. And um, I took it from there. So a lifestyle decision led to a career. That definitely, I mean, it found you more than you found it. Yeah, really. Exactly. That's, that's not always the story that we get. So I love that. What was it about the nonprofit world that kept you in it? Because often we hear people in the nonprofit world talking about burnout and wanting to leave as soon as possible. And yet you parlayed your work with a nonprofit into staying with the nonprofit through your years as a mother and doing it part-time. And then yeah. at some point emerging full-time in right. the space. What was it about that world that you liked? I think the first, the main thing that I love about this whole world is, is the people I work with. I, I like working with people who um, have this burning passion to do something about what's going on in the world. And um, it, it just fit with who, who, who I am as well. I mean, being able to use my skills to help people do incredible things just really appealed to me. 
And then also the lifestyle piece of it, that I've been able to do it from home and I've been able to do it, build it around other priorities as well is huge. How how often have you felt the, I think the thing that causes burnout with nonprofits, which is the piece that is so thrilling and so fulfilling can be the piece that also feels insurmountable, which is we're curing we're getting people off the streets. We're curing, I don't know, malaria. We're, we're getting women who are sex trafficked out of their situation. These, these issues that you in particular seem to come alongside Mm. can also be the things that start to weigh you down after time. What is the thing that's kept you in the game? Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, I was doing at one point, um, all my work was down on Skid Row and I would drive down there almost every day to uh, do my work. And for those of you listening yeah. who aren't in Los Angeles, it is um, a sight to behold, to say the least. It You cannot imagine that something like this lives or exists in a city like Los Angeles, let alone in the United States. And it is um, a, a shanty town uh, of... Um, despair and, and, uh, poverty and brokenness and, um, mental illness. It is, it's something, I mean, just driving along those streets, never mind working in that facility. Right. Right. I mean, there are actually, um, about 58,000 people in Los Angeles who are homeless and many of them end up down, down in central Los Angeles. So, um, you know, after a while of doing that, it does get discouraging sometimes. And I think I think um, the reason I've stuck with it, though, is almost one reason why I branched off to actually build this into a business is because um, I now have a variety of different courses that I'm working mm-hmm. for. So it's not all one. I'm not immersed in one area all the time. And I think if I had stayed, you know, downtown, uh, 40 hours a week, um, for, for, for too many years. I mean, I think that would, I think that does get to you after a while. Um, whereas now that I'm able to be a bit more, uh, free to, to work, um, away from, from that area and work with other causes in other parts of the Mm -hmm. city and other parts of the country, it just, um, I think that's helped me stick with it because um, if, if I get particularly discouraged about one issue, then, um, you know, the next day I'm working on, a, on something else and um, it adds variety to my sure. day. And so. Sure. I, but I, even the other organizations you're working with are really the plight of some of those. Um, I know. I mean, it's, it's interesting that it, for you it's variety – but as I scan your list of clients, they're, they're, these are really heavy issues of foster care or, again, sex trafficking or you already mentioned the homelessness, but there's so much around it. So thank God for people like you who view that as variety and, and can stay in the game. A lot of it is my personality. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just there's a side of me that's quite serious about stuff, and, and I, I feel like... Um, when I when I found this whole thing of grant writing and being able to do all this, it, it it totally fit with who I am and part of the reason I feel like I'm meant to be here. You know, I I grew up with this sense that we all have this some kind of purpose in life, and 
it might not be one thing, it might be lots of different things. And for me, it is lots of different things, but I, but I do think this um, has felt kind of true to what I'm meant to be doing here. So that helps keep me with it. I love that. And, so, I, and I love how that ties in with what we too believe at Liberty, which is that there is something that we are meant to do. And thank you for saying there are multiple things because yeah, I think we yeah. can get confused about that right, too. Right. Um, so you, you're a grant writer while you're having babies yeah. at home. And you're working for one company or one organization, rather, or are you working for multiple? How do you start to take other ones on at this point? Yeah, when my kids were, were actually, I took a break, to be honest, for mm -hmm. eight years when okay. I didn't do any work. And Well, the, you didn't do any grant writing work. I didn't do you any doing grant the work, work of, yeah, of yeah. parenting, yeah. Um, and then when I, after, when my youngest was in second grade, I thought, you know, I'd quite like to get back into something, and I, I think it will be grant writing, Um and so I, I tried my hand. I told myself, I'll, I'll try one grant. And if the money comes in, then I'll, I'll get back into it. I, and I, so I wrote a grant um, for my local kids' school. And miraculously, somehow it came in. So I thought, okay, that's it. I, I'm going to do this again. And um, so for a while, I, I actually volunteered grant. I, as a, I worked as a volunteer because I, I wasn't confident enough to, to start asking people to pay me initially when I was getting back into the workforce. And um, so I worked just for one organization. And then about three years later, uh, some, you know, another one came along. So I then had two that I was working for freelance. Um, and it, it grew from, it grew slowly from them, but I was able to keep it fairly under control so that as I had more time, um, then I, then I could, could grow work. it. Yeah. Why didn't you, what was it about working for multiple as a freelancer kept you engaged and ultimately kept you in the path or along the path of becoming an entrepreneur versus working in-house? Was it the freedom, the schedule? Definitely, definitely. And I, I did actually go back into working in-house um, for one organization just before I decided to to start Repco Grants. And um, I, I think, again, because that for that one year, I was working in one location on one issue so heavily, it, 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 it kind of got almost too much. And it convinced me that I needed to get back into, into working for myself, um, back into sort of um, maybe working for a couple of different causes. And, and then I was thinking, yeah, why don't I why don't I make it into a business? Mm -hmm. I'd had um, one of my mentors along the way had been telling me to try that out for years and I, and I, and I was not sure about it. So I thought, why not, why not add that into it too? Because again, that adds variety. It's something new. It's a challenge. Yeah. So that even though I was still doing the same grant writing, um, it, it added another side of Absolutely. Well, it's very different to be a freelancer who yeah. basically does one thing and answers to this one particular or two or three projects versus I'm going to become my own entity and I'm going to run a business and I'm going to hire other grant writers. Now you're playing multiple roles of you continue to grant write, but now you're also the CEO and the founder of this new company. What was it about that that was interesting to you? I don't think I really realized 
what was how happening. much I would enjoy it until it actually started to happen. Okay. It, it really grew organically. It wasn't as though when I was a kid, I was thinking of starting my own business. Some people, I, you know, 18, they know that's what they want to do. Yeah. Um, so it, it just grew, grew out of um, thinking, well, let's try this. And so I took on one one grant part-time writer to help me just to just to kind of lighten the load really and um then you know I I gave myself a name and I, I decided to be incorporated just because that would help with um taxes and things mm -hmm. and so it just sort of grew grew on its own and um and it was it was nice because I felt like I could just take one step at a time and try try things out and to my surprise it began to work quite so, successfully I might add yeah yeah I mean so I I and then every step I took then I gained more confidence sure. and began to think yes this is a business you know sure and um yes this is working and maybe I can it is time can now to this. take on someone else and my yeah my nervousness at first you know began to become yes I can do this yeah. and so. And you have, can you, um, I'm going to back us up a little bit. Yeah. Can you explain to us for those who don't know, or for some of us who might have it wrong, what is grant writing? Well, there's a, obviously there's the technical side of it. Yeah. It's, I think the closest people can get to it is like, you know, filling out a college application form. Okay. And you so, have to be a nonprofit, right? To yeah. To get a grant or can you be a yeah, for-profit and get a grant? You, there are for-profit grants okay. out there, but I, for the ones I work, they're all non-profit. Great. Um, but to be, to be big picture, the way, the way I see my role is um, a bit like a matchmaker. So you have on one side, you have people who've, people of means or families or institutions that have this money and they have this desire to do something really mm -hmm. philanthropic with it. And then on the other side, you have these people who feel passionately about an issue, who are on the front lines of trying to change things for the better. And so my job is to sort of link them together. It kind of built, it's the kind of relationship thing. So to introduce one to the other and say, because neither can do, fulfill their, their own dreams without the other. Sure. So people you know, with means looking for causes to support and then vice versa. And so I see my job as, as bringing those two things together. How does that differ from a fundraiser or somebody in development? It's really the same thing. I mean, it's all mm -hmm. about relationship building. So, um, you know, I work with development and fundraising people all the time. So um, if I were in a big organization, yeah. would this fall under the purview of development? Yeah, it is okay. completely development. Yeah. Okay. But I suppose what is different from this than from other forms of fundraising is that it, it requires an application. and It's it, formal. Yeah, and you have to answer questions and put, put this conversation that maybe you've been having with someone on paper in a more formal manner. Sure. And so that's where you have to learn, um, you know, the certain ways of 
Sure. So doing if, that. just for my sake, and I think for the audience too. So in this, in a scenario where perhaps there's a family that has a lot of money, a, a fundraiser or somebody in development would go and just sit down with them and ask for that money. Whereas in your situation, that family has formalized something, yeah. a foundation, and they have an application that needs to be filled out to ask for the right, money. Right. So that might be a way to distinguish those roles. Yeah. Is that fair? That is fair. Also, what's slightly different with this as well is that there's, you know, a huge database of foundations. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my job is to learn about that database Mm -hmm. and to be able to do really good research on on the thousands of organizations that are out there trying to find you money through through doing that research. And you really have to know what those organizations are looking for or those foundations rather are looking for, what they're going to approve. Right. Yeah, you, you can do that. There's a database that, where you can dig really deep into um, all the different organizations out there, how to get in touch with them, how to um, how to craft your message, how, to even see if they're even open to a conversation to start with. So that's the other side of grant writing, which actually I really enjoy. So. Thank God, because when you when you likened it to a college application, I thought right. I cannot imagine doing that work. But there are people who not only enjoy that work, but there are people who understand the nuances that get us closer to a yes as an organization. We want to be applying for and spend, if somebody's hiring you, they want to make sure that the time you're spending is, is in applying for foundation or for, um, grants that are going to get a yes are more likely to get a yes, not just casting a really wide net. Right, right. Yeah. Knowing, knowing, that knowledge, which you just build over time, there's no way around it. You just have to, it's try, you know, a lot of it's trial and error sure. first. And then it's just building, and it's building relationships with, with people at different foundations. And then um, just, um, but being part of that whole thing is just. Do you have about. to be aware of or wary of choosing to work with organizations that are different? So as you look yeah. for foundation money, you're careful that there's not a conflict of interest? Yeah. No, I'm very careful to make sure that I'm working for different types of organizations and um, that, yeah, that's that's. Important. And then in your case, the through line is the kind of human component right. and, that they all have. And, yeah. and that helps you to develop a brand as these are the kinds of grants that I go after. This is who I am as a grant writer. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. And then one of the things that I know that's really important for you as a grant writer is giving other women the opportunity to, do, to ha- really the opportunity to have what you had when World Vision said, yeah. Go ahead, go home and be with your child and do this on the side. And I know that's been almost a core value of, of both you personally and your, your brand, the company that you're building. What was it that was important to you or, or why was that important to you? And can you share how you've been able to, to do that? Yeah, I suppose some of that began uh, when I was starting to look for people who could help me. And just really from my own experience, I just knew for myself and just my friends that there's a lot of us out there who had a lot of experience and education behind us. And we'd chosen to stay home with our kids for, for quite a length of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, quite a few of my friends were, were looking to get back into work and just were feeling unconfident or feeling how can, what can I do? Because maybe the, the area of expertise they, they were in before, they, they didn't know how they were going to be able to do it. 
from home and they didn't want to have to go back into full-time work. So I, I just felt like there was this huge um, pool of incredibly talented women who um, who be, might be interested in, in, in working for someone like me, even just for a, a few hours a week. Because initially... I mean, all the I have four four part time people right now. Some of them only do a handful of hours. Some do more. But um, you know, I couldn't offer anyone you know a huge amount of time or or money. But what I could offer them was the chance to do really interesting work and do it from home and in their own time and everything. So um, that was really where that journey started. And and. And I've been able to find those people, and um, I've yeah I have decided that that is an important part of of what I do, and I'm so I'm always on the lookout for yeah for women. And you have some me. really amazing yeah. people as a part of your team. I think one is an, a former attorney or an attorney, but I mean people yeah. who really are able to use their writing skill and their um, sort of technical writing skill. It takes a certain kind of writer. So you've been right. able to, these yeah, women are able to thing. stay in the game yeah. while still making decisions to stay at home if they choose. Right, exactly. Um, um, yeah, Leah came to me and she she trained as an attorney, uh, great education, everything, but she was wanting to get back into work after about 15 years being home. Um, and so I helped her. Um, she took a grant writing course and, um, I just thought what an amazing resource. I've got someone with all that education and experience who, um, wants to help me. And so that's what she's been doing. And what's interesting is your business model, the way your business operates is you don't have to have, as far as your client Mm. is concerned, you don't necessarily have to have the same writer on something. I mean, it would be nice to have that consistency in terms of management, but it's not like the client interface is with one of your writers and it would disrupt if one could only do two hours here or if she were to leave to perhaps take another maternity break. The, The model is such that it's okay to have a bunch of people that work part time hours. Yes, but I do try to each of them has maybe one one particular that they okay. work on most of the time. Um just because then they gain experience in that one area. But yeah, I'm the interface, I'm the person on the front end. But maybe yeah, but a couple maybe work on a two. So yeah, it it is it it is it is fairly easy to manage and yeah, works well. Um I think it's nice for our listener to know that listeners, there's more than one of you, but because I think they often the case is how do I do something like that? But perhaps the type of business they have limits being able to have multiple people who can only work shorter amounts of time. Yeah. But even you with that flexibility, even you suggest, it sounds like, try and keep them consistent with right. a client or a couple clients so there's continuity, probably even for you in terms right, of management, right. yeah. would you say? Yes, because I want to maintain, I think one of the hardest things that um, that a, a business like mine has is as you grow, maintaining that quality of work. Mm-hmm. And so, and then because every Every organization has their own style of, 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 of writing about certain issues. 
And it takes a while to get used to that and to learn it. So, so as a writer, um, it's if they can just stick with that same organization long term, then I feel like the quality of work gets stronger. If they keep jumping around to different ones, then I, I don't know. I think that would affect. Sure. And there's probably that. somebody interfacing on the on the other end, meaning they might not be a decision maker like yourself within the organization that you're writing a grant for, but perhaps it's an administrative person that can take a call or send a piece of information. Right. And so it's nice to know, you know, Jan, whoever Jan is, is on the other end. Yeah. Okay. Um, can you tell us, and, and I want to hit on something very particular. You said something about when you first launched yeah. um, early on or pre-launch, I would say, yeah. when you put out that, it, I'm going to write a grant and if money comes in, yeah. maybe I'll look at this yeah. uh, more seriously and, and kind of dive into it. And then you said you worked for free. Would you advise somebody in your particular situation to do that? What was the benefit of doing that? And maybe what was, where did you maybe sell yourself short? I tell people now, because I have people coming to me saying, how do I get into grant writing? Mm -hmm. Of course. And one of the things I say is go do a grant writing course and then start volunteer writing somewhere because you've got to, it's experience. You can't just go in and expect and people to pay you and especially you're working with nonprofits. you know every penny counts sure and they're not going to want to pay someone unless they have quite a bit of experience behind them so I don't think I that was a that was a positive thing and it built my experience it built my confidence and then as money started coming in probably about a year into it um they did start to pay me um not that much but then it's started to grow over the years so the, the agreement going in when, when I offered that was, was, you know, can I come do it for free? And if it works out, then maybe down the road sure. it can turn into something and, and, and it did. And so. then it did. So as you look back on these last five years in particular, yeah. what would you say has been the hardest part of launching your business? And now that you're established, what is the hardest part of growing your business? The hardest part was 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 she says with a smile well yeah, yeah. <laughs> the hardest part was definitely starting just just making that decision yeah. that was probably the biggest hurdle because of fear of what am I doing I feel I haven't I don't know what I'm doing yeah in jumping into the business side of it that was by far the most difficult decision to make and then to actually do it but then once I well, I had done it I realized that wasn't as bad as I thought. Yeah. Um, but then I think the next hardest thing was to find the right people to work with me. And it's it still is. It's like I'm not going to grow anymore right now unless I find the right person. So um, you're just so our listeners have a sense, you're I don't want to give an exact number and be wrong, but you have two handfuls of clients, solid clients. I mean, you you are running a sizable operation as a single right. person I'm, I'm probably, running I'm it. I'm probably at capacity right now. Yeah, I, really I would anymore. say. Yeah, uh, I, um, would I say. have seven, I think, yeah. right now. So, yeah, finding the right people to work with me, that that was, that was that's always the most difficult thing, and I think I've done that now, so I'm feeling good about that. But um, as I said, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take on any more work right now unless I found the right person to help me, but I, I think I'm kind of happy where I am right now. 
So I'm not looking to expand anytime soon. Okay. Good. For all of those who might be calling you, well, um, I mean, saying, hey, I'm, I'm interested. There's you can always expand. the right I'm situation, yeah. but I, I kind of, that's the thing. You, it sort of ebbs and flows a bit, you yeah. know. Uh, it started with two and I thought, okay, great. That's it for now. Then three. And so anyway, I'm, it will, it will probably continue to grow at some point, but for sure. right now, I think I'm feeling good about it. And then, um, and then, yeah, just as I was saying before is maintaining quality of work as you grow, you know, we're sure. handling quite a lot of work right now. And so I'm going through this phase of sort of quality control and making sure that everything we're doing is as good as it possibly can be and making sure that we're producing good work because things do ebb and flow sometimes and, sure. I, and I want to make sure that everyone is uh, happy with everything that we're, we're producing. That you're producing. Yeah. Um, I just want to ask another question because I'm curious as it comes up, do, is, you know, when you talk about doing good work, do you feel like you have to, as um an out-of-house service, yeah. do you feel like you're competing with an in-house grant writer or for the most part, if they've hired you, they don't have anybody in-house? The people I'm working with don't have anyone in-house. Okay. In no, I don't, I don't feel like I'm competing with anyone else. I feel like I'm competing with myself because sure. I feel very privileged to be able, you know, to have people hire me to do this stuff. I've, I'm, I'm serious. If, it's, if it needs to work and the money needs to come in. So yeah. I... If anyone, if I'm competing with anyone, it's my own expectations. And I hate it when 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 we get rejections from foundations, um, you know, that really, you know, I'll have a really bad day or a few moments while I uh, while I'm, you know, upset about that. And then when when things come in and we get some good victories, then I'll rejoice with those as well. But yeah, no, I, I'm very kind of competitive with myself. Probably is what makes you good. Well, you know, it's probably the organization that doesn't have to come in and fire you up because you've already fired yourself up. You're the one that's competing with the last grant that came in that right. you brought to them or last year's numbers. You're the one that's fueling your own fire. They don't have to do that is yeah. probably what's what gives you that edge. Well, the thing is though, I mean, Good grant writing isn't just, it's not just the grant writer. You can't just hire a, a decent grant writer and think, okay, great. They can write the grants. The money's going to come in. It, it's a team, it's a team thing. And again, that goes back to why I work, I like working with the different organizations that, you know, I, I really go in as part of a team, mm -hmm. internal team as well. So we're all working together on the same course and we all need each other. Sure. And, um, well, if you go back to the, one of the first things you said about coming from PR in-house yeah, yeah. and your ability to copyright and your ability to articulate the vision of the organization, you have to work as a team. So if you're writing a grant for an organization and their in-house right. value system or, or what they're doing with the money once it comes in, doesn't yeah. match what you're saying or conversely the, what they're saying doesn't match who you're going after, there's a problem. So it seems like you would have to be able to come in house in terms of working as a team yeah, very much um, so. to, to grow that messaging yeah. to be, and to be of one mind that both what's happening in house and what you're doing to raise money for that has to really come from the same place. So it seems like that was informed way back in the day. 
as a, from your PR days of really understanding that. Yeah, exactly. It's it has to be team effort, everyone pulling their own weight. Sure. Um, and that's another thing about grant writing is that, which is really fun, um, is that you're you're working with people at all different levels. So you have to be able to um, talk to board members and um, people running organizations, but you also have to be able to um, talk to people working in the programs in, in, in all different levels and different interest areas and everything like that. And so, um, you know, that keeps things interesting sure. and it keeps things uh, moving and different. And sure. Sure. So. Well, while we have you, our expert in-house, we're going to transition to the second part oh. of the conversation. Oh. Oh, oh, she says. In the okay. second half of the conversation where anybody who's listening, whether they are considering going into grant writing or, or they have a type of service that could really benefit from the advice that you're about to give, we, we just kind of want to extract all that goodness from you. Specific to somebody who might be considering going into grant writing or um, some part of working with a nonprofit in the way that you do, how how do they and and no experience? How do they approach working with a nonprofit if knowing that there's a tight budget from that nonprofit without the experience? What's a what's the first thing that they might want to do or that you can recommend that they do to kind of show their value? Well, you mean if they wanted to get into grant writing to yeah. help? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you just said it. Well, more, just more off, I mean, if, if most organizations, if you step forward and say, you know, would you like me to try and write some grants? They will say absolutely yes. I mean, it's fantastic. They're it's just a, looking for people to yeah, help. There's them. so much need out there for it. And lots of people asking me to help and get into this. So I'll, I'll have some interns help me every now and then. Or, um, you know, people will ring me up and they are in a, they are looking to change careers even. So mm-hmm. my, my number one thing is either in the organization you're in right now or somewhere where you volunteer, just Start. just ask them, just email them, say, do you have a grant that you'd like me to have a go at and 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 start doing it. And start with any grant writing or start with the kind of writing grants for the kind of organizations that interest you long term. Pick something that you feel really okay. passionately about. Um but the other thing is, I mean, there are some really good um, grant writing courses out there. There's one actually UCLA Extension does one, so mm-hmm. you can be anywhere in the world actually. And and I I did that right early on. I I I did that, and um, it's still going on right now. They offer it oh, a couple of awesome. times a year. And we'll as list part that in our of show that, notes. as part of that, they have to write a, a grant proposal, and they take you from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. So for some people, I've said, why don't you take that grant writing course and as part of it, do a real grant for a real organization and submit it. And that helps people figure out if they even like it to start with. That process. Yeah. And I I have to tell you, I mean, a lot of people try grant writing and I'd say only about 20% of them end up sticking with it because it is much harder than it looks from the outside. And so... um, I actually think it sounds... Hard. I mean, it just sounds the the tediousness of what you have to know to be a good grant writer. Yeah, it's just Um, lots of different skills that you need. But anyway, so that that normally uh, fixes it for people. They either they either volunteer for someone, do it, love it, and end up making a career, or they 
decide, mm, I'm not sure if that's for me. Yeah. So. Which is nice. You, yeah, weed out, exactly. you weed out the people that, or people weed out for themselves. Okay. So let's say somebody's just started a nonprofit. They've filed their 5013C, they, C3, sorry. They're ready to raise funds. Um, what's the one thing they should consider as an organization before they go out and start fundraising? What is like, what's a mistake that you see these young companies may, or these young organizations making that perhaps they, with one word well, of wisdom from Rachel, well, they, they need, wouldn't make? The thing is that it, the difficult thing starting out is everyone needs money to start out mm-hmm. and yet you don't have, might not have a lot to show for yourself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in an ideal world, the first thing to do is, you know, have a, have a great program to be able to go out and sell. Mm-hmm. But obviously... Uh, at first, you know, it takes a few years to get that going. I would definitely say do not go and write a grant in the first year. Most foundations won't even consider you until you've been in business for about five years or so. So you need to find your money from other places. I'd say recruit a really great board of Mm -hmm. people, maybe surround yourself with about five or six other people who, who are really passionate and who have connections and, and, or know people, or do social media campaigns, crowd fundraising, whatever Mm -hmm. it's called. Um, (laughs) All these different things, you know, get your money from elsewhere. And then, um, you know, maybe about five years into it, you could consider going for a grant. But again, your first grant is going to be probably the hardest grant you get. So, um, And what's what's the size of a sort of a a first-time grant? Well, for a small organization like that, it might actually only be five or ten thousand okay. dollars. Um, and a lot of grants are in the lower end, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand. But for a new start out startup organization, you should never poo-poo those small grants sure. because they can build and then they start snowballing and um over time, um they, they they lead to more money down the road. Well, and it seems like it would be smart just to diversify, right? So yeah. have many small ones that can build yeah. versus one that your entire organization is hinged on yeah, yeah. can be really dangerous. So I think there's value in, in, in finding more than one yeah. of these organizations or these foundations to work with. Yeah, and the other or thing... Or grants to obtain. The other thing that I think people don't understand is grants... Even in a successful organization, grants are usually only about 10 to 15% or even 20% of overall revenue. Wow. The rest has to come from other places, whether it's from the government funding or from um, individuals, direct mail. um, Okay, back up real quick. Even in government funding, though, isn't that a grant? Yeah, and that's a different type of grant writing. And I have have done some of those and, um, yeah, so, so what's the distinction? What category do they f- each fall into? So the see, grants gov- that you seek are my, what kind of grants? Uh, they're they're private. Would be okay. considered private, private funding. So either from a corporation or a big family business, foundation. or from a family okay. foundation or a big institutional foundation. You know, like the Amundsen Foundation sure. or someone like that. Versus a government grant. Yeah. So it's yeah. still a grant. Right. But it's, and it sounds like that's a different, like you don't necessarily specialize in that, although you right. you could do it. I have done some and I, I do have some small smaller ones that I do. It's a slightly different type of writing. It's much more technical. Mm-hmm. And um, there are many 
people out there who are experts in it and do really well and raise money for school districts and um, big organizations. So, so maybe I've made the mistake of when I think of grants, that's what I'm thinking of. And yeah. maybe the type of grant writing that you are doing is much more storytelling, right. copywriting, um, core value, you know, articulating the core values of the company intensive. Yeah, exactly. Is right? My, okay. Mine is much more, you know, telling, telling the story and, um, in a compelling way. So I think as people are listening and considering this, it's good to know or to understand that distinction. Yeah. Okay. Um, so some of our listeners are both entrepreneurs in a nonprofit space, yeah. but also kind of for-profit social impact entrepreneurs. And even they have to deal with the infamous burnout issue. Aside from your earlier example and advice yeah. around diversifying and having multiple clients that helped you to alleviate any burnout, what are some other bits of advice or wisdom that you can share on how to, how to really protect yourself from that sort of burnout? Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to answer this in the way you think I'm going to answer no, it. Just, just no, no expectation. But I think for those people working in these sort of social, non in the nonprofit space, hmm. need to remember that they're running a business, actually. They're not running a, they themselves are not a nonprofit. It's okay to make money. That's something that I've had to really get my head around because Actually, when I was starting out and I was freelance and I was charging a very small amount for my work and I was, I was working really hard, but I was, it was like I was becoming a nonprofit myself. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, I love this distinction. So, yes. Preach, um, preach. And, and even now, and I think it's also um, it's something maybe women struggle with more than, yeah. than, than men in that. You feel slightly guilty, kind of. Uh, especially, come on, Rachel. Yep. You're especially me it. working with um, these incredible causes where I know that, you know, every penny that is scraped in has to be used towards something really, really important. Yeah. And so there's a tendency to undervalue your own work and to feel like I can't charge this or, um, you know, I need to come across even with the with the people I'm working with as, as not not really being a business person, that I'm really, um, I'm really a, a volunteer. Because the running business side of what you do is kind of a whole different part of my brain. Mm -hmm. And I've actually really enjoyed that kind of how do I make this into a business where, where I'm helping all these people and I'm raising this money and I'm helping to make a difference in the world. But I am also making this a business and I'm actually making um, enough to make a good living and, you know, help with my kids college and all these other things and, um, hire people who are being able to do that themselves as well, you know, uh, stay home and make a, a, a good living and, and that type of thing. So, um, I think, you know, cause I even have friends who I'll brainstorm with about maybe business ideas that they have and, They'll say right from the start, they'll say, this is my business idea. This is what I want to do. Um, and I've decided I'm going to give, you know, 25% away to, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to make it into something where I'm giving this and that. And I'm just like, wait a minute, don't, don't talk about that yet. Mm -hmm. Make it a business 
that actually works and um, that can sustain giving long term. Right. Because actually, <laughs> it, it's hard to, to make it as a small business sure. person to start with. But um, I love that so. advice. And you're, you're right. You didn't answer the yeah. way I thought you, oh. you exceeded my expectations oh. <laughs> in answering that. And I think it's just validating and um, giving yourself understanding your own value in, right. in, um, in the work that you're doing and not undermining that can alleviate a ton of burnout as right. you, as you look at people who have done some really, really important and valuable work who haven't paid themselves fairly or have underestimated the value that they're bringing to a cause or a movement and they can't, they can't live. Yeah. And the yeah. stress that they fall under that that's a, that's a stress that's outside of the work that they're doing. Right. It's an additional stress that they've really put on themselves. Yeah. Um, perhaps with a, with good intention, but mm -hmm. it, it's more than is required. Um, how do you yeah. go about gaining clients? Cause I think that's another thing that we often hear in the service industry, people wondering, you don't really do much on social media. I, know. I think for the most part, you're word of mouth. You've developed quite a reputation. So how, if we don't have that reputation, what is the way that we sort of start to build a client funnel? I mean, I see, yeah, I, I've managed, it's managed to work word of mouth. And because I wanted to grow slowly, that's fine with me. Mm -hmm. Um, but what if someone wanted to accelerate that growth? Any idea? Any there tips? Are, I mean, the social media thing. I've I've been a little bit nervous about because I'm a little bit older, and you know, it's, it's sort of I'm not quite I'm not quite sure um, what to do with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do have a LinkedIn. I use LinkedIn a bit, and you know, I have a website and everything. But um, you know, I don't know how I'd use with the work I'm doing something like Instagram and these things, it just doesn't seem right, you know, mm -hmm. but I have seen some other, I have seen other grant writing organizations doing much more of that, mm -hmm. um, putting out things, um, through, through those mediums, um, a lot through LinkedIn, pushing stuff out. Put to further establish themselves as experts, like a newsletter, like I'm a grant writer, yeah. I'm on LinkedIn, yeah, a here's people, a newsletter to think five tips to grant writing, that right, right. sort of thing. There's a lot of that kind of stuff out there okay. and some of it's really good and some of it's not so good. But yeah, people are doing, um, I, I could do that if I wanted to, if sure. I felt like I needed to get. But because you business. don't need to turn that faucet on in terms of new clients, you haven't had to, but it's, right. it's, it's something that yeah. you're seeing in the yeah. industry. Definitely. Okay. That's helpful. So we ask this question of everyone because yeah. we want to sneak behind a, a look behind oh. the curtain. Just kind of how do you do it? What are your daily habits or tips, resources that you use that have helped you to grow this business and to stay sane? Well, I, again, I'm fairly low tech, mm -hmm. um, but I really a like... A common answer. Yeah. <laughs> here, here on the podcast. So yeah. I, I'd like to get better. I, I know I need to get better at it, um, but... So Excel spreadsheets, I, I use extensively. Um, I looked into using something more complicated and I just thought, no, what this, keep it simple. Mm -hmm. um, I'm beginning to 
start dabbling with Google Sheets and I'm mm-hmm. really liking it. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to be um, transferring most of my Excel stuff to Google Sheets now. And I really like that. And I like uh, whiteboards. I've got two massive whiteboards in my office. I like to see everything up there so that I can at a glance see what's going out, um, what my priorities are. And then I like spiral bound notepads <laughs> and old fashioned calendars. I yeah. do have Outlook, which I use, but I do still do a lot of pen and paper. But I, I do feel like, I do sense that there's more out there that I need to be using. And um, Google Google Sheets and Docs, I think, is is my next era of exploration. All right. Those are, those are good tips, especially so, for people who I know that you're not just using Excel to organize internally. You're using right. Excel for your client interface yeah. work as well. So yeah, yeah. it's good to know that Google Sheets has replaced or can replace yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so as we sort of wind down, I'd love to know in your experience as a grant writer and as a business owner, what sort of parting entrepreneurial advice do you have for our listeners? Oh, yeah. The first thing I would say is don't do it unless, unless you, you want to work way harder than you would ever work (laughs) in a nine to five job. Um, because and get paid a lot less or not at all for a while. Right. Exactly. Um, it is incredibly hard work in that I'm always thinking about it. I, I'm, I'm trying not to think about it. I'm trying to learn how to relax more at the weekends and everything. But um, it, it's a ton of work. I mean, it's mm-hmm. fun. It's fun it, as things develop. And and so it's kind of, it's it's a lot of work, but it's a good thing. But don't do it unless you realize that, that's going to happen. You know, sometimes it means there's events that you really want to go to that you have to say, I just can't do it. I've got to stay up all night to, to meet this deadline. Um, and for some people, they don't want to live like that. They don't want to um, uh, say no to those other things. So you've got to figure out if you're that kind of person who's willing to to to, to sacrifice some of those other things. Um, that's That's one of my... Uh, pieces of advice. Um, another one is to to just be yourself. I think, um, you know, you see all these other people out there doing things and, you know, I've heard people on your podcasts and everything and I think, wow, they sound this and they sound that and they're really good at that. And But I, I kind of feel like um, I'm learning just to be myself in the way I work, in in how I do my work, that yeah. that's okay, that that that's what people like. Off, they want they in, and and no one, there's no one else like you. So build that into what you're doing, because um, even if you're not as good as someone else in a certain field, pe- if they if people like working with you, then they're going to stay with you. Sure. So that's another piece of advice. Um, and then finding mentors. I've always had people along the way, whether they're just friends of mine or they are people um, in, in places that I've worked or I've sought people out who have encouraged me along the way, who I can go to. I have different people for different things. Um, and um, so that on those days when you get really discouraged or something happens that really throws you off, you can pick up the phone and 
And nine times out of 10, they have been through exactly the same thing. Sure. So that's huge. I couldn't have done, I haven't, couldn't be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for these other people around me that are helping me and supporting me in my, on my journey. Um, and then the final thing I think is um, to give back. And that might be um, in, in, in many different ways, but it, for me, a lot of it is, is with my work with women and looking for opportunities, especially for young, younger women coming out of college or in their 20s, maybe they're a little bit lost and they come to me for advice and stuff. And I really like to try and help um, bring other people Aside along. from the three of your own. Daughters. Yeah, so I did three <laughs> of my own. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I, I'm, I, I've got three daughters, so um, a lot of what I do is it's all for them too. Yeah. And so, yeah, I love that. Thank you for uh, your wisdom. Thank you for your accent that elevates us and makes us sound like no. a really sophisticated podcast. And most of all, thanks for your time. Okay. Before we let you go, we have this one really fun part that we do. It's a way for our okay. audience to get to know you a little bit. We call it our quick six. Okay. So I'm going to just ask you a few questions and just first thing that comes to mind. Do you prefer a nine to five or a flex schedule? Flex. And do you prefer vacationing in the mountains or the beach? I think the mountains. Even though you're living here in L.A.? Yeah. Well, I do like going to the beach too, but now are they American mountains or are they like oh, these no, rolling mountains, no, hills? No, Lake. Of, we go oh, up okay, to Bass okay, Lake. Okay, okay, okay. I didn't yeah. know if this was like something That's back thinking. in England. Okay. Yeah, no, no. And then do you prefer working from home or your office? Office. <laughs> you have a very cool office, yeah. <laughs> and then working alone or with a team? Well, I actually like both and that's a cool thing about my work because I'm often in my own in my office, uh, alone in my office mm -hmm. space. But because I have these four amazing women working for me, one on the Who East are all Coast, across the country, yeah. East Coast, two East Coast, one Minnesota, one here. I feel like we're all working together anyway. So I'm doing both. I like That's the both awesome. at the same time. That's awesome. And then clearly the hardest question, do you prefer Thai or Mexican food? I think Mexican. Okay, really? Yeah. I I would have pegged you as Thai. Well, I know I like both, but okay, spicy. I'm going Does through it a, no. I'm going through like a, a a taco, a shrimp taco phase. Oh, that sounds good, actually. So but too bad we can't leave. Yeah, right after yeah. this and have a margarita and a shrimp taco. Okay, and then the podcast is called Liberty Sessions. Our brand is Liberty. We um, are hoping to liberate women through entrepreneurship, through this podcast in particular. What does it mean for you to be liberated, Rachel? I think it means um, having choices, being able to be free to decide how I want to live. And, you know, I just have yeah more freedom through choices. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for teaching us a little bit about your industry and how you've been able to grow your business. Um, we so appreciate it. And Liberty listeners, we will be back with you next week. So bye for now. Thank you. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. 
It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.